Billy. Billy the goat. He was in with Razzie and Mama almost five weeks. He had settled down quite a bit. His hormones had receded. But he bullied Mama and Razzie constantly. He tried to eat every bit of food possible. He butted them regularly and me as often as he could. And he'd bite me if I let my guard down. And he still stank. I couldn't avoid his touching me, and I had to wash my shirt and jeans more often than I wanted to. I talked with Clifton. So, you think they're pregnant now? I asked. Well, I reckon they're probably settled. You can take him back to Doc. I texted Manny, and he said, The animals are all in the lower fields. So I went down to the goat barn, snapped a leash to Billy's collar, and led him away. You know, he was as docile as a lamb. He followed me, didn't try to bite me, didn't try to butt me, just walked along. Clifton opened the gate to the pasture. I unclipped Billy and went to leave. He didn't want me to leave. He came up next to me, rubbed me, got between me and the gate. I swear he looked at me, pleading, as if to say, Please don't leave me out here all alone. I'll be good. Billy, you're not alone. There are sheep and rams and cows and horses. You'll be fine. And I felt bad shutting the gate behind me. He made that sound that only Billy can make. Ah, ah, ah. This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. Thanks for listening to these podcasts. It is definitely Christmas shopping season again. We're getting orders from all over the country. Someone asked me what my favorite soap was for Christmas. I thought a moment and said, You know, I have a different soap in every sink and shower. I love them all. But I guess my favorite now is the bar of Playa del Mar that I have on my bathroom sink. When I come in from dealing with Billy, first thing I do is wash my hands well. And I smell like the ocean, like a vacation, rather than like an old billy goat. You listeners to this podcast get a special discount of 20%. Just enter discount code STORIES20 at time of purchase. If you're listening to this podcast on a delayed basis, like some people do, and try to use that discount after January 1st, 2019, you won't get the discount. So, chop chop! Now it's time to move on to this week's story from Anashira. been asked many times over the past 15 or so years, how did you just quit your job and get rid of most everything you have that you own and set off to live on the road? Well, it didn't come to me easily. It actually took about eight months for the idea to coalesce and then become reality. My old life was like many lives were in this 21st century industrial world. I had a family, a wife, and a young daughter, and worked to support them. I began with a major corporation in an entry-level position, worked hard, got results, and got promoted. Each promotion brought with it more income, 
the ability to accumulate more material things, which I enjoyed. It also brought a new series of challenges in my professional life that I had to address, new problems that I'd never known before and had to deal with and had to solve. And each rung up this corporate ladder required more of my time and energies. And for me, it was a vicious circle. As I made more money and bought more stuff, larger houses, more clothes, better wines, more expensive vacations, I believed I needed to continue the process of bigger job, bigger responsibilities, more headaches, move my family, spend less time with them, and have less time for myself and much less creative energy. At one point, when I was at the pinnacle of my corporate life, it was communicated to me that the company was in such dire straits that it required 150% of every executive's time and forces. Anyone who cares about the company and their career wouldn't dream of being selfish enough to take vacation time, was what was communicated. And so, I even canceled my vacation. Crazy, eh? I was going to take Dawn to follow the Tour de France. I canceled it, and I had already paid for it. It got worse. It got to the point that I sat down with my boss and said, You and the board are insane. The route you're taking will not succeed, and I think you'd be happier if I weren't here standing in your way. Now, this man was actually a nice guy. He'd just been caught up in the craziness of the march that they were on. So we struck a deal and negotiated a severance package that let me walk away, and they paid me to do it. So I went home and I told Dawn, well, I'm free of that madness for now. Of course, I immediately started worrying about where I would find another job. I was not a wealthy man. Part of my package was paid executive transition services, which would deliver high-impact career coaching led by a career management expert. It would, they said, help me achieve my professional and personal goals. So I went in, met with my management expert, and started updating my resume and building a list of goals and of my contacts. But I realized I didn't really want to just find another job working for the same kind of bosses I'd had. So I bought a book and I worked on my creative spirit. I needed to see if I could work out a path, if you will, a spiritual path to my creativity to get me to a place that I wanted to be. I started writing every morning. I wrote for myself. I wrote anything I wanted. I wrote just to write. I found I needed to do it early in the morning before I did anything else. Well, except make coffee. Many days I do it at 5 a.m. I worked on other exercises that forced me to deal with myself. And I continued with this outplacement company. My coach could see I was frustrated that their methodology wasn't going to work for me. He said, Ernest, there is someone here whom I'd like you to talk to. He might have a different path for you. Great, let me talk to him. So I sat down with this man, Jim Parker. I told him what I'd done with my life, how I'd got to where I was. He was patient and paid attention to what I said. He said, Ernest, I have a book I want you to read. It's not for everyone. 
but I think it might help you to look at your life in a different way. So I went out and bought a copy of The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom by a man named Don Miguel Ruiz. Wow, this book was like a roadmap to some personal freedom and enlightenment. These lessons from the Toltec wisdom, I read it and I read it again. These agreements are so important. I'll give you the essence of each of them. They're certainly worth thinking about. First one, be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. Okay. Don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinion and action of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. Boy, as Don would say, I take a lot of things personally. Don't make assumptions. Find the courage to ask questions and express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, sadness, and dramas. With just this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. Yeah, I'd, I'm, I'm a, I was a king of making assumptions, and I still am. Always do your best. Your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you are healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstances, simply do your best, and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. So I reflected. I wrote in the mornings, even when I didn't feel like it. And I went back to Jim Parker and we talked for a long time about what these agreements meant to me and how I could benefit from following them. We had no discussions of resumes or job interviews or networking. He said a week or so later, Ernie, I have something else I think you might benefit from reading. Now, this is a series of books that most people would not be open to at all. Have you heard of someone called Seth? Seth? Well, Seth is a personality. He speaks of himself as an energy personality essence. He is no longer focused on the physical form. Okay. He suggests that I get the book, Seth Speaks, The Eternal Validity of the Soul. And he said, now, keep an open mind. Think all things are possible. Okay, Jim, i see you next week. And I got the book and I read it. Oh my goodness. It was not just a quick read. A woman named Jane Roberts channeled a spiritual teacher who called himself Seth. He taught the concept that we create our own reality according to our own beliefs. I was fascinated. I returned to talk with Jim about my life. One day... I'm on Don Miguel Ruiz's website and I'm looking for a lecture to attend so that I can listen to him speak and see him. And I find that he's offering a journey to Teotihuacan, guided by himself. Six days of teachings and enlightenment with a master. 
Teotihuacan was built by hand more than a thousand years before the Aztecs in central Mexico. It reached its peak between 100 B.C. and 650 A.D., covered eight square miles and supported a population of over 100,000. It had thousands of residential compounds and scores of pyramid temples. Some were comparable to the largest pyramids of Egypt. Miguel Ruiz's belief that it was built by the Toltecs was supported by some scholars. Some disagreed, but that wasn't essential for me. Teotihuacan hosted a patchwork of cultures, including the Toltec, Maya, Mixtec, and Zapotec. So Don says to me, Ernie, you need to go on this retreat. You won't have this opportunity again. I register, and just before I get ready to go, I find out that Don Miguel has had a near-fatal heart attack. He's handed over his Eagle Knight lineage to his son, Jose, who will lead the retreat. So I fly to Mexico City, where a small group of us is met and transported to the Hotel Villas Arqueológicas Teotihuacan, which is adjacent to the archaeological site. We meet with his son, Jose, who is well-versed in his father's writings and teachings and the Toltec way of life. We spend the evening in meditation and preparing for our first day at the pyramids. After breakfast in the hotel, uh, one of my favorite dishes called chilaquiles, made from corn tortillas, cheese, and nopales, that's cactus, with a fried egg on top and sauce. I was ready. We walked about 15 minutes to the entrance. We were quiet. Jose told us to just absorb everything. We walked in and got to the main street, the wide avenue of the dead. And right in front of us is the huge pyramid of the sun. I looked to the right down the avenue and about 1,200 meters away is the temple of Quetzalcoatl. And so my left, about the same distance, is the pyramid of the moon. We sit and begin to take in the city. Jose tells us that it may have had as many as 200,000 residents at its peak, about 400 A.D., Tihuacan is actually the name given to the city much later by the Aztecs, who loved the Toltecs. The largest structure was completed before the 3rd century AD. It is the second largest pyramid in the world. We walked up. The steps were high, and it was steep. It required concentration to climb these steps. It's 246 feet high, 24 stories. So we got there and we sat and Jose led us in meditation. I fought to clear my mind. It kept going with, I can't believe I'm sitting on top of this pyramid with my eyes shut with another nine weirdos. And how long will Jose have us sit up here in the sun on these rocks? And other such related nonsense. Don't get me wrong. I tried. I really tried. I wanted to quiet the noise in my head that the Toltecs called mitote. So we studied the city, meditated in different locations every day. I found I was able to quiet my mind somewhat. I really liked the temple of Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, 
completed about 200 AD. It's a celebration of warfare. It's richly decorated with sculptures of feathered serpent and Tlaloc-like heads. It has seven levels, and 200 male and females were sacrificed to commemorate its completion, buried right in the middle of it. Dreams were very important to the Toltecs, and Jose and I were sitting one morning talking about our dreams. And I told him I'd been dreaming while half awake that morning, not daydreaming, but real dreams. He'd have thought I told him I'd grown wings and flown to the top of the pyramid of the moon. Ernesto, that's great. That's a real gift. Tell me exactly what happened. I did. Sometimes it still happens. The last day in the afternoon, we spent in a purification sweat bath ceremony called a temescal, similar to the sweat lodges of Native Americans. Heat and steam. Jose led some chanting. We reflected on our series of meditations and our progress. Jose would put more and more water on these rocks. It was super intense. A friend of mine said, I can't take it. I can't take it. He jumps up and runs outside. Before I knew it, the next morning, the retreat was over. Everyone else jumped in a minivan and headed for the airport. I decided to stay on an extra day. I wanted to end my time there with a personal retreat in Teotihuacan. I'm glad I did it. I sat alone on top of the pyramid of the moon felt the wind pass around me. I began the transition from my isolation from the modern world back to the insanity of southern Florida. When I got home, Dawn asked me about what I'd experienced and learned. I worked hard to put into words how I felt the new sensations. It was the end of June. I gave myself two months to decide what I would do next in my life. In that period, Dawn and I went for a week to Arizona on another spiritual retreat outside of Prescott, as they say. Unfortunately, we found out it was less spiritual and more some sort of pseudo-Christian environment. There were only Dawn and I and one other woman, no place to hide. We were so glad when it ended and we were able to escape to Taos, New Mexico. And we celebrated with a great bottle of wine and big steaks. We got back to Fort Lauderdale and had dinner at our house with three people who'd also been on the retreat in Mexico. Two Latina women from Miami and a man who was a disc jockey in L.A. That was a guy who jumped up to escape from the sweat lodge. The women were crazy about something called Landmark Forum. They wanted to sponsor us. There's a session being held in Fort Lauderdale next weekend. It will give you a more efficient, passionate, powerful life, they tell us. They are very energetic and persuasive, and I had enjoyed their company in Mexico. I convinced Dawn to go with me. Well, I won't give you details, but I will tell you that it was simply the button-down reincarnation of the ultimate 70s, self-actualization philosophy. Est. Yes. Earhart Seminars Training. That Werner Earhart, who had changed its name to The Forum. He sold the company's teachings to his former employees who used it to create the Landmark Forum. 
I wished I had known that at the time. We did see some transformations, but it was hard to stomach the confrontational tactics, inscrutable platitudes, and the constant pressure put on us to bring in more people to be recruited into the next series of seminars. It didn't end peacefully for us, well, for me, and good old Landmark. They wanted us to play a big role in their future, and we just wanted to get out. So we left. It was strange. I had done a lot of networking, but it was not leading anywhere. I had two men whom I knew very well. They had worked with me on some very difficult, groundbreaking projects, super successfully. We had actually been instrumental in saving the company that I worked for. One had even come to our wedding a few years before. So I'd driven up to the Atlanta area to meet with each of them separately and ask for their help in putting me together with some of their many contacts. I took each of them out to eat. We had a few laughs and talked about the old days. And each one said he had ideas. They'd get back to me. I left and drove back to South Florida. Don said, so how'd it go? The strangest meetings I've ever had. Did they come up with any contacts? Uh, not really. No. No? That's right. They said they'd talk to some people and call me back. You know what? I never heard from either of them. I haven't spoken to either one since that trip I took to see them. I sat down with Don. You know what would help us? We need to take a couple of days, get away from all of this South Florida noise, and have our own retreat. Sure, if you think that'll help. I think we should find a place where we can get two simple cabins away from each other, take 24 hours, and sit, write, reflect, and see what insights come to us. Okay, she said, let's do it. Now, Florida is so crowded, I had trouble coming up with a place. It wasn't like California, where we could have just hiked up in the mountains and had our solo experience. I found a place way up in the panhandle called Mexico Beach. We rented a cabin for a couple of nights and then one cabin for one night. We drove up, set up, said goodbye to each other, and settled in. I thought about what I wanted in my life. Dawn, peace, close to solitude when I wanted to see beautiful places, to feel free, to live in a beautiful place. I thought of what I didn't want in my life, the stress and pressure and angst that I had in corporate America, the traffic and crowds of South Florida, the anger everywhere. I thought, you know, I'm tired of buying stuff, accumulating stuff, being afraid of losing stuff, and boom, it came to me as an epiphany. I knew what I wanted to do, knew what I needed to do. So when the 24 hours of solitude ended, we met back in the original cabin. Dawn, how'd it go? Good. A little lonely, but I did some good writing. How about you? Oh, man, you won't believe it. I know what I have to do. I said it with such conviction that Dawn felt it was... Well, what is it? She asked. We're going to. 
But again, we're out of time today. Thanks to Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts. If you enjoy them, if you listen on our website, just leave a comment on the bottom of the page. If you listen on iTunes, please enter a rating and write a review if you feel inspired. My sponsor will like it, and I like it when he's pleased. We're waiting for a big snowstorm on the weekend. Two bad things about snowstorms in these mountains. One, they frequently cause tree limbs to break and fall down, and they fall on the power lines. No power means no pump for the well, no running water, no lights, nothing. So we end up, well, camping inside. Just as bad is blocked roads and a cap of ice on the roads. So we could be stranded here for a while. But we have firewood, a generator, lots of candles, our long underwear, and we have our loving dog, Sam, who loves the snow. Thanks for listening. Join me next week when I tell you what I decided to do with my life on the next story from Anashira.